Today on Understanding Immigration, illegal alien payouts and ongoing amnesty efforts. You could literally be turning a lot of these illegal alien families into millionaires because they broke our laws. And that's unthinkable. Even if you look at just $450,000, that's more money than most people ever see in one place in their lifetime. Right. And the idea that it would be going to every individual and not to not to a family unit or you know a larger settlement to the petitioning group that would then be split amongst the, the there thousands would, of people. There would be there. multiple payouts per family in right. many instances. Coming to you from Washington, D.C., you are now listening to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. I'm your host this week, Spencer Raley, FAIR's Director of Research, and I'm accompanied by Preston Hennikins, our Government Relations Manager. As has been the case for... I guess months now, for a year now, or however long, uh, it seems immigration issues continue to dominate the headlines, especially as the Biden administration's self-created immigration crisis rages on. And a news story came out a couple of weeks ago from the Wall Street Journal detailing how the Biden administration is considering offering $450,000 each to illegal aliens separated from family members at the border during the Trump administration. Some families could see payouts over a million dollars, and the entire program is estimated to cost more than one billion dollars. We're also seeing news coming out of Congress, where Democrats are once again trying to use the reconciliation process to pass an amnesty for millions of illegal aliens after already multiple failed attempts that were struck down by the Senate parliamentarians. So, Preston, let's start with these proposed payouts to illegal aliens. How did this scenario unfold? What's the background, and why are these payouts being proposed? Right, so this will require us to go back to 2018 during the Trump administration. And for our listeners uh, at home, recall that in 2018, President Trump faced a a border crisis as well. We had Mm -hmm. caravans coming to the border. There, There were really just high, high numbers of apprehensions, not to the extent that we're seeing today under the Biden administration, but it was a big enough of a problem that the Trump administration tried to do something about it. And at this time, uh, really, Congress was sitting on its hands. Uh, they, they were not doing anything to, to try and alleviate what was going on at the border. So the Trump administration came up with a pretty novel idea, which was to criminally prosecute every illegal alien apprehended at the border. Uh, you know, you might be asking yourself, oh, we don't already do that. Uh, and the answer is no. No, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> and, and so that was why this was a, a novel approach. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it, 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 no one really knew how it was going to turn out because uh, we knew for at FAIR, and we even said this at the time, the U.S. didn't have enough detention space right. to hold everyone that was coming in at the border. There, there weren't enough ice beds. There weren't enough agreements with local sheriffs and local state and county jails to hold illegal aliens being apprehended. So this was, no one really knew it was going to happen. What caught the most attention were instances where illegal aliens in family units were apprehended, the adults were criminally prosecuted, and because of that, because of American law, you cannot hold minors in jail with uh, with adults, that that is something that has never occurred um, in in modern U.S. history, and certainly 
did not occur in 2018. And no. that necessitated what became known as family separation, mm-hmm. where the adults who came in in family units were criminally prosecuted and the the minors uh, and, and minor children were separated um, and in some cases were held in separate facilities or in separate areas of the same facility. Some of them, um, obviously, unaccompanied children were, were transferred to the custody of Health and Human Services. But this became the big issue. Right. And this is what the media, what, what Democrats seized on, what were images of, of parents being detained and their children or people who claim they were their children being detained elsewhere. And it became such a, a PR disaster for the Trump administration that they, they subsequently ended it after, mm-hmm. I think it was like maybe four months. Yeah, it, it, didn't, it didn't last very long. And, and again, really, I think what you're seeing here is, you know, it, it was kind of made a bigger issue in the media than it necessarily needed to be, you know, uh, simply because obviously, you know, it's a tragic situation ever when a child has to be separated from their parents. But this is a situation of parents violating the law and facing criminal charges because of it. Uh, so I guess my question, I guess the, the question that naturally comes from that then is, for one, why is this seen by the Biden administration, really even uh, others at the time, as such a significant issue to this to the point that now there is this discussion, these settlement proposals being made uh, for these families that were separated? You know, why is that being offered, for example, to these individuals, but never even entertained for American citizens or lawful migrants who might violate the law and be arrested and separated from right. their children in that respect. So, so and, and again, what's interesting is that the Trump administration did not break the law. No, so they did they, not. It, no. it is not as if they... They enforced the law. Yeah, if anything, they just, <laughs> they just enforced the law to the letter of it, which hadn't been right. done. And so what happened is that groups of, uh, of these aliens that were separated ended up suing... Uh, the Trump administration with the help of the ACLU, with the help of some of these other pro, pro-illegal pro alien groups that mm-hmm. were giving them the best lawyers and, and, and whatnot. And so now what you're seeing is now that President Biden is in office and now that it's his political appointees in control of the Justice Department and the Department of Homeland Security and, and HHS, what you're seeing is a willingness to, to entertain these lawsuits and to settle right. them instead mm-hmm. of fighting them in court where I'm, I'm not a legal expert, but I would assume the government would probably have a good chance of, of winning these cases and saying, look, right. the former administration aggressively enforced the law, but they didn't break the law. Typically, yeah. you don't lose a case if you're not breaking the law. Right. And, <laughs> but so the, the willingness is, is intriguing and the, the amount of money being doled out in the settlement is staggering. Yeah, I think that's really what caught the attention of so many, you know, was these, these you, you could literally be turning a lot of these illegal alien families into millionaires because they broke our laws. And that's unthinkable. Even if you look at just $450,000, that's more money than most people ever see in one place in their lifetime. Right. And the idea that it would be going to every individual yes. and not to not to a family unit or, right. you know, a larger settlement to 
the petitioning group that would then be split amongst the, the there thousands would, of people. There would be the, multiple payouts per family in right. many instances. And and in this case, I mean, you're see, you're talking about a a parent and a child receiving nine hundred thousand dollars. In an instant, and that—that's—that's right. that's to say, just one parent and one child. That is right. That doesn't include multiple came, parents, multiple yeah. children. It, it, we, we don't have all the all the fine print on what how this would play out, but just from the reports we're seeing in the Wall Street Journal and from the ACLU, yeah, it would be a massive amount. You know, I really find it interesting. You know, the ACLU has essentially rebranded itself they should essentially change their name from American Civil Liberties Union to perhaps like the foreign born civil liberties union or something along those lines because what they're proposing here is taking a billion dollars from law abiding american taxpayers and lawful migrants and giving them to immigration lawbreakers and <laughs> what i really found interesting is now they they're they're going after the very administration that is entertaining these settlements because we saw president biden come out and call the reports that, you know, these payouts are being entertained garbage. And then the next day when the ACLU was like, hey, by the way, it doesn't seem like you know what's going on. He turned around and went, oh, no, I'm perfectly fine with it. And now, and now, a day later, every question being asked of the administration is being referred to the DOJ. You know, Jen Psaki, right. President Biden, they don't even want to talk about it anymore. So... What's going on here? Does the Biden administration wants, do, does the Biden administration not know what's going on in his own administration? Did he think maybe did he forget something? Do you think he could lie and get away with it? Why? Uh, who's calling the shots here? And what's going right. on? <laughs> yes, to, to and to Joe Biden's credit, the the federal bureaucracy is enormous. Uh, there are valid cases for for reducing it, you know, across the political spectrum. <laughs> um, and so there's really two, but you would two options here, right? Is that one is that. <laughs> He truly had no clue what Merrick Garland was up to at his own DOJ, and he was was completely caught unaware by this. Um, again, which is entirely plausible. The second possibility is that he he knew of it, or at least was had been briefed on it, and then just lied when right. when when he was asked about it and just said what he thought people wanted to hear. Because the interesting thing is about the the second instance where he was not asked about it. The White, a White House spokesperson corrected him and said, actually, no, this is a proposal that we're entertaining. So <laughs> the only thing that has come out of Joe Biden's mouth is that he thinks it's garbage and that it's not going to happen. But then you're right, two days or a day later, a spokesperson for it's the White House comes out and says, no, we are entertaining this. And then, as you said, further inquiries have been passed on to the uh, to the Justice Department. Right. It's it, and it's interesting because you could see examples in the past of 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 either of either possibility playing out. We've seen Joe Biden to use his own term utter malarkey, you know, whenever asked about something just straight up lie about it. We've also seen situations where it really doesn't seem like he knows what's going on. And you would think you would think anytime payouts in the billions of dollars are being made to illegal aliens, something that's obviously going to make massive news when it hits, you would think the president would get a brief on that. That someone would say, "Hey, by the way, we're 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 going through this." So, either way, think, it's either think. way, it's not good. Either he either doesn't know what's going on in his own administration, uh, people are just running it as they see fit, not even briefing him on it, or he's lying to the American people. Neither scenario is particularly uh, beneficial. Right. So, I was going to say, I'm not sure what's worse that he didn't know about it at all, right, or that or he that knew he about it and was totally okay with it. <laughs> 
Um, so where does this go from here? You know, if the Biden administration, the DOJ is just determined to make this happen, determined to settle, is there anyone that can stop it? Can Congress use the power of the purse to say, hey, we're already seeing some discussion occur about, well, we're just not going to fund certain things. If that money is going to go to something like this, would a threat like that even work? Under the current composition of Congress, I don't think there's a lot of hope for them exercising the power of the purse and stopping this. Obviously, they the Democrats have control of the House of Representatives and the Senate mm-hmm. and the White House. Uh, that, that could obviously change after the 22 midterms, but that wouldn't go into effect until January right. 2023. So, I, I am not very bullish on the prospect of the House of Representatives particularly stepping in and and doing something about this. Uh, and and so really, um, they they have the ability to 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 do whatever they want on this front. I'm I'm not sure if they're again I'm not a legal expert. I'm not sure if there are states that could sue about this. I don't know if they would right. have standing. It's that's there's there's a, lot of, a lot of lot of different that, angles yeah. that come into play here. Um, what about what about over on the Senate? You know, it's a close divide, and we're already seeing moderates like Manchin and Cinema balk a little bit at some of just the utter ridiculousness being proposed by this administration. Is there any chance that they might uh, break ranks on something like that, or is that going too far outside of the norm? You know, trying I, to control the power would, of the yeah, purse. Or I think the Senate would be going too far out of the norm, and, and frankly, I also don't believe that the Senate has the time to do anything right, about it because there, it's a you know, for those who know, the Senate is a slow-moving body, uh, a lot slower than the House, mm-hmm. and they are currently wrapped up in, in what we're going to be talking about next with right. the, the Build Back Better Act, the uh, which has a massive amnesty, um, and all of their energy is focused on that. I'm not sure that they would have the time to to do anything in a, in a separate a separate vote. A se- there, there's really nothing I see the Senate doing, and also I don't... I see maybe Manchin making a stink about it. Right. I... I, I but do I see him going to the level of trying to introduce something and and piss off Senate Democratic leadership more than he already has? I'm not sure that you know he's. I think he's right. playing the political game here, where he wants certain things in and out of this giant bill that's coming up. So I think he's going to be holding his cards pretty close to the chest, and you know poking leader Schumer over this maybe is not in his best interest as much as we'd like for him to do it. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So let's go ahead and change gears to the amnesty we just mentioned. Uh, despite being told twice now that amnesty is not germane to infrastructure and not appropriate for this reconciliation process, Democrats just don't seem willing to give up. It seems like they're just going to keep banging their head against the brick wall and then hope that something sticks. So... What does this latest effort look like now? What are they proposing now? Right. So the latest effort is uh, is very interesting. For um, they're, What they're essentially proposing is to create a program that looks like DACA, but mm-hmm. for, for 7 million illegal aliens. Um, and, and, and so... It's 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 novel in their approach because the parliamentarians struck down their first two attempts, mainly on the point of of legalizing aliens and saying that those effects would not are not germane to the budget are not germane to what needs to go into this plan. Um, whereas this, 
they're saying, well, now now we're not le- we're not giving them a pathway to citizenship. What we're doing is giving them a 10-year work permit and deportation protection <laughs> uh, that would end in 2031. Um, for those of you out there, you already know that there's nothing more permanent in immigration than a temporary solution. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there is absolutely no way that these people would get 10 years of work protection, 10 years of, or excuse me, of, of deportation protection, 10 years of work authorization, and, and, and then, then face deportation. And then face deportation. Well, we that see that already happen. with, you know, the the multiple permanent temporary protected exactly. status, you know, where, you know, even in some instances where it's five or seven years that individuals had as TPS. As soon as you get it, you're here for and, life. Right. And as soon as, you know, in the past when the Trump administration tried to end some of these, there were, you know, myriad lawsuits and... You know, all these arguments about, oh, these individuals have, you know, made a life here. It's, it's and, and, you know, we look at what happened. Of course, Trump didn't win a second term, but those programs were put into place. No one was deported. Uh, exactly. So, and and that's, that's the biggest <laughs> thing is that they, they are trying this approach uh, because they know that if they get these temporary changes in, this population is not going to be going anywhere. They're and it's, here. It's, and and it, and if they're here and they're kind of in this quasi-permanent status, that down the road lends the Democrats even more ammunition to say, hey, we need to go ahead and give these individuals citizenship, the right to vote, and everything that yep. welfare benefits, everything that goes along with it. So in other words, there it seems like they're kind of changing from just massive amnesty to maybe more of a long play here. Yeah, it is. And it actually reminds me of something in the early stages when they were talking about this reconciliation bill, the infighting between moderate Democrats and uh, the more progressive far-left Democrats. Uh, and, uh, and this was related to spending. Mm-hmm. So the moderates wanted to fund a smaller number of programs for a longer period of time. Right. Because they said we want to fully fund a handful of things that will, in their words, would, would make really lasting changes for, mm-hmm. for the long haul. The progressives, on the other hand, came back and said, no, we want to fund as many programs as possible, but fund them for a shorter period of time, banking on the political calculation that it would be nearly impossible to take funding away after it expires. Right, and that does does fall in line with what we've seen historically. Whenever you put a program into place... It's it's very difficult to end it. And you know, I and I take, thought, take money away yeah. from a program that you've already given to. <laughs> exactly. And that I they did so they they did not end up doing that, but they're using that same political calculation, mm-hmm. I think, for plan C of immigration uh, right. uh, amnesty. And that's what we're seeing right now is they're banking so, on the idea of giving these people ten years of protection, very similar to DACA, on the political hopes that the the temperature will have risen so much after 10 years of these people right. having legal a quasi legal status that you know screw it we're going to just amnesty them 10 years down the road again maybe 5 years down the road exactly. maybe, maybe not even go that long and that's where you would be looking at again some of this long play because you could be looking at you know you know, before major elections down the road, either giving individual citizenship or permanent status, trying to integrate them into society. So uh, wh- how likely are they to succeed in this third attempt? So it's it's um, because they're going at such a different angle. The, the mm-hmm. first two attempts were largely the exact same thing. They, they right. pretty much watered down 
Plan B was a watered down version of Plan A, and the parliamentarian said again, "This is the this, same it's thing." The same thing. Yeah. I, I'm, I I ruled on this before. This will be interesting. What we've seen so far is that the parliamentarian does not has not accepted that major legalization, whether it be through a pathway to citizenship or some sort of quasi-legal status, has enough bearing on the federal budget to justify its inclusion in the mm-hmm. Senate bill. And even members of the House are saying that, where they've said, look, behind closed doors, we're putting this in because we need to fulfill a campaign promise, knowing full well the, that the parliamentarian will strip it out, the Senate will vote on a version of this that does not include immigration reform, and then it'll come back to us and we'll deal with it then. Right. So, so it, 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 I, am, I am slightly optimistic that the parliamentarian on the Senate side will strip this house. Right, we'll strip this right. Out. This will be passed on the House side. Well, I believe it will be passed on the House mm-hmm. side. I think that Speaker Pelosi will get her ducks in a row and get um, the Democrats to, to pass this. There, there are some, some moderate Democrats who have said they will not pass this without a CBO score. You know, they, they have concerns about this bill having to do with top-line numbers, not necessarily right. immigration. Um, whether this comes into the final version that the Senate and the House would have to meet on, I don't know. There are, there are House members who have said they will not support this without immigration changes. Right, um, and that's, Korea that's, has that's, said the, that, yeah. that's the argument you're looking at with the House right now is you've got moderates, like you mentioned, who want to see the score. They don't want to see it get too radical. But on the, and on the, same, on the opposite side, you have the most radical members of the House saying, well, I'm just not even going to vote for it unless you give us our entire wish list. So, and then, of course, on the Senate side, there's the well-documented struggle of, you know, again, is this going to be too much? Is it too big? Yeah. And if they do water it down, send it back to the House, are these radical members going to be willing to vote for it? So even if this makes it into the House, final House version, even if the Senate parliamentarian rules it's okay, it's a far cry from assuming that, you know, this is going to end up becoming law. Right, right. And, and so I, I'm not... Uh, I don't think that it will be included. I, 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 mm-hmm. I in the in, in the final bill, um, there there are so many moving parts, and right. the parliamentarian so far has indicated that no, almost no number of changes to immigration legalization would impact the budget in such a way that it would be germane and right. it would clear the bird rule, which is required for reconciliation. Um, so, to in a short way to answer your question. I am. I do not think this will be included. That does not mean that we are giving up the fight on this. Right. Because this, the, as the, we're seeing, yeah. they're going to keep. It seems like they're just determined to keep trying. Yeah. And that uh, and and that calculus changes if if the parliamentarian says, you know what, this sure this does have a, somewhat of an effect, and and you can tell in in documents that the House Committee on the Judiciary Democrats have sent out, they are highlighting almost exclusively the economic benefits of this. In their right. in what they released, um, the top line says, immigrants are innovators, job creators, consumers with enormous spending power that drive our economy and create employment opportunities. They highlight they uh, that this bill would increase tax contributions by $10 billion. It would increase contributions to the economy by $17 billion. They talk about uh, how people that 
now have legal status, would earn more money because they could have better jobs. They, so they Which are hitting not no, necessarily. It's, it's mostly all again to quote Joe could, Biden. Yeah. This Joe Biden. This is all malarkey, right? Uh, we, and we could go. And, and actually, we've actually we've we've written a rebuttal. This this the the numbers from this comes from a forward.us, Mark Zuckerberg's exactly. organization, and we rebutted that on our on our fair blog, immigrationreform.com, noting that it's an old trick that these mass immigration lobbyists like to use to mention an increase in taxes paid, an increase in the economy, which if you look at our entire GDP, it comes out to like 0.0001%. It's negligible. But they leave out the costs. Exactly. They leave out the hundreds of millions in costs that would offset. And so over time, this would actually be a massive fiscal drain. Uh, but you're not going to hear that. Everything they're going to pitch is going to avoid that. So I'm... Polling on this topic is historically low. Barely 20% of Americans at this point want to see or approve of the efforts of Joe Biden and the Democrats on immigration. So, and again, this is probably speculative, but why are Democrats so desperate to misuse the reconciliation process to pass an, an, an extremely unpopular piece of legislation? Right. So this is a mistake where you... You're, they're playing to a campaign promise that they made, and and they think popular campaign it's an, promise. Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> but they see the, this activist wing of the Democratic Party, which includes you know, promises to amnesty every illegal alien in the country. They see that as a critical part of their coalition, right? And they have been getting really hit hard by members of that. Of that group, uh, there was a staged walkout by open borders groups with um, members of the immigration policy staff from the White House. You, it's one of the most cringy things I've ever seen. Yeah, a, a staged Zoom walkout. <laughs> yeah, very. It, you know, it hits really hard when when you don't even have when you don't even have access to the building. Uh, right. I'm sure that wouldn't have happened if they were actually invited to the White House. By the way, no. But uh, it's it, it. So they they are getting hit really hard on people who they genuinely believe helped carry them over the finish line in 2020. They're, right. I, I don't think that it's some sort of, you know, nefarious plot to, you know, I, I really think that people in the White House and in congressional Democratic leadership believe that this is a segment of the population that led them to victory in 2020. Whether or not that's true is very debatable. But they they think that they owe them this. and And so they are trying... Um, and to be frank, they're trying harder than I thought they would, mm -hmm. um, considering that they've used the you know the, well, is, the Latino is, immigration vote as a political pawn for you know for two decades. Um, especially considering how much they how much faith this segment has always put in the polls, and you know just look at what the polls say. Now the polls are saying, hey, we don't want you to do this. Americans don't support this. Right, and I and but, I think a lot of it too. It does boil down to. I think congressional Democratic leadership knows that they are going to lose at least one chamber in 2022. Every right. every indication, every poll, the election results from New Jersey and Virginia, right. it's pointing towards a red wave in 2022. So if you want to get something passed now, it's now or never. Exactly. And it's so sort of I like do, the first two years when Trump was elected. It, like it, right. You had to pass stuff then. And, and we and saw even, what happened after that. Yeah. It was just gridlock. And, and with Obama. Um, there mm -hmm. were people... There were... Representatives who representatives and um, and not necessarily senators because they kept the Senate after mm -hmm. the the first midterm. But in the 2010 uh, midterms, you saw there were 
Democratic House members who lost their seat because of their vote for Obamacare. Right. But they, the Democrats had told themselves, this is such a big priority for us that we're willing to lose seats Sacrifice just to get it in. Just to get it, yeah. Um, whether or not immigration is at that level yet, I'm not sure. I, I do think that they see this overall effort, the overall bill, which includes all kinds of other things. I do think there are segments of the Democratic Party who believe it is such an important bill for them mm-hmm. that they are willing to sacrifice the well, 2022 midterms. And for I it. do think they look at it, you know, again, the bigger picture and think this is the only win we will have right. at this point. It's the only thing that even some of these, you know, moderate Democrats who may not be in swing states, but they don't have a lot of buffer room. It, they need something to campaign on. So if they can say, hey, that highway I fixed and don't think about all the other pork and everything else that was included on this bill as well, you know, they've got to have something to bank on. And, yeah, they, they see this as an opportunity to sneak in as much, um, you know, as much as they can on the rest of their wish list and try to, to cover it underneath the, the kind of the primary infrastructure aspect of this bill. Right, and and I guess my my final point on this would be I, I think this was a a huge miscalculation by both the White House and congressional Democrats, where they they legislated like they had supermajority a supermajority right, mandate. Right, um, they thought um, they had complete yeah. control of their and and President Joe Biden is he is running the White House and he, and and working with congressional leadership to make transformational change kind of how Franklin D. Roosevelt did. But right. <laughs> people did not vote for transformational change in 2020. You know, a lot of people voted, um, you, know, I, I, you know, for the lesser of two evils in many respects. And you're seeing right. that come out in elections in Virginia where there was a 12-point swing mm-hmm. in independent voters. You're seeing that in, in New Jersey. And so I think this might be a wake-up call for the Democrats to say, hey, maybe people... Well, didn't necessarily vote for us as much as they voted against what they perceived. Donald right, Trump and and they're seeing now from the Virginia election that the whole orange man bad campaign slogan doesn't work anymore because voters yeah, when he's are not less. In office, yeah. yeah, voters are less <laughs> concerned about someone who was in office last year by 2022, several years ago, and more concerned about the policies they're seeing en- enacted right now. So, exactly. Well, I think that's a great place to stop today. So for everyone listening, we hope you've enjoyed today's episode and learned something new about these important issues. Uh, And I also want to encourage everyone to listen to our previous episodes if you have time. We're getting close to 50 episodes here. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends and family. For more information about FAIR and our mission, please visit www.fairus.org. You can also find us on Twitter at FAIR Immigration and on Facebook as well. And you can go watch a lot of our uh, previous uh, episodes, not just of this podcast, but our other publications or other videos on YouTube as well. Uh, So until next time, this has been Understanding Immigration, presented by FAIR.